Hello, hello, hello. How's it going? Hello and welcome to Casual Krakoa, a.k.a. the Comic Book Herald Hour. I'm Dave Easton, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. Let me know if you can hear me. Let me know how things are going, what kind of sound you're getting, what kind of audio and video, etc. we're getting here as I get the settings rolling for what is going to be a conversation about today's X-Men comics, about uh, some stuff going on in the comic book Herald sphere, and of course, just whatever questions y'all have here in the chat. Thanks to, those, thanks to those of you who are able to join live. I'm Dave, founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. Today we're going to be talking in detail about X-Men Red number 3, Wolverine number 22, and that is it. Those are the X-Men comics that came out today. And then uh, on the docket today, I've got very fast, very off the top of the head, best of the Krakoa era rankings. Okay, so I'm going to put together my favorite X-Men comics of the entire Krakoa era. I've got five with a sort of one at the top of the list. And then if there's time, and we'll see how this goes depending on questions, depending on chat, uh, I will give a sneak preview of the upcoming best DC Comics of 2022 list that I am currently working on and nearly done with and will be published on Comic Book Herald soon. I've been catching up on the DC Comics of 2022 and having a really good time doing it, actually. I'll share some of those out, okay, if there's time at the end. But otherwise, let me know here in the chat if you're listening live, how things are sounding, uh, if everything's coming through, and we can go ahead and just dive right into the comics. I mean, primarily today... I said there's two comics, but really there's one, okay? Um, <laughs> it's it's X-Men Red, number three. Uh, writer Al Ewing, artist Stefano Caselli, colors Federico Blee, letters by Ariana Maher. You know, I've been saying this for a while, um, but the Destiny of X is definitely, it, it's a real haves and a have-nots situation, <laughs> right? The Everything um, that isn't at the top of the pile is becoming increasingly window dressing for me. It's becoming increasingly just like my completest brain demands that I consume the rest of the, <laughs> the X-Men lineup. But really, the books that I'm dying to check out are X-Men Red, Immortal X-Men, New Mutants, Sabretooth. So those four. Those four are the biggest by far. And uh, they're going to be mentioned again when I talk about the best of the Krakoa era, okay? But X-Men Red, number three, is is the one that came out today. It is a standout, arguably the best of, of the three issues of X-Men Red so far. Um, although, really, like, Red is an extension of Ewing's sword. You know, it's of a piece, right? The series relaunched. It's a slightly new focus. But really, sword and red, it's all one Al Ewing X-Men-verse, looking at the cosmic side of things as it pertains to the X-Men, and here specifically developing a bit with Planet Araco and, and, and the council and all that fun stuff, right? So today we get, I, it, the, it's such a good issue. It, it's really, really solid. It made me very happy to be reading X-Men comics and to be invested in this Krakoa era again, which is, you know, that's what I'm looking for right now, right? I want these reminders, these periodical, you know, they're called periodicals, but like this weekly or monthly reminder of like, oh yeah, that's why I'm so excited about Krakoa era X-Men or I was, right? Um, and X-Men Red has that capacity. It does that. It's tapping into the vast potential of Ten of Swords Fallout, you know, uh, like it, that, that had so much potential when X of Swords ended. Um, and it, it's really picking up the pace here and developing. I'm hearing, uh, seeing in the chat here that we might be having audio issues. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. 
Uh, it's coming through okay on my end. I do appear to be plugged into the microphone I intend to be, which is always hit or miss. Um, so, okay, I'm seeing it's okay for some folks. I could get up on the mic, but, uh, but that could be a problem for others. So I would say crank your volume. It looks like other people are doing okay. Uh, I don't know why else it would be coming in super, super low. I could crank the gain as well if we get enough people saying it's a problem. But, uh, but that, again, could be messy too. And it's just, I don't know, you don't want to mess with the dulcet tones more than you have to necessarily. Sometimes the problem is like maybe you're just feeling the vibrations of the subwoofer coming through the speaker, and that doesn't necessarily translate to language the same way that actually hearing the words do, right? So, okay, it looks like it's good enough for enough people that I can't, I can't perfect it for everyone, but that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Okay, so what I was saying is X-Men Red is tapping into the vast potential of Ten of Swords Fallout, which I love, with Dune meets Game of Thrones. Like, today's, today's issue is so the Viper versus the Mountain, <laughs> right? Like, without quite the developed hype, necessarily, but a very, very big Viper versus the Mountain vibes. Um, I love the sort of wrestling promo style thing. Let's get the visuals up here. Uh, I love the sort of wrestling style promo, use of a data page. Ewing's been having fun with data pages um, and, and design and, and whatever instruction is given there. I think to a degree that very few creators have really been, uh, especially over the past handful of months, you know? And uh, it's just, like, it sets the stage, right? Like, this is the showdown, right? This is the throwdown for the heavyweight belt. It's Vulcan challenges Tarn. Although, of course, as the issue progresses, you know, is that even the key battle? Now, if you haven't been following along or you've forgotten kind of how the, the last issue ended, um, okay, why is Vulcan challenging Tarn? Uh, essentially here, Vulcan, a.k.a. the third Summers brother, a.k.a. the former emperor of the Shi'ar, a.k.a. Guy's having a time because he never died. It's his new quote, I never died. Um, when he went into the War of the Kings Cancerverse realm, some weird aliens found him, and they've hidden something at the heart of Vulcan. They have, they have messed with him, and he is right now basically masquerading as two individuals, okay? There is a forward-facing Vulcan, the one that the world has been seeing, the one that Professor X saw and that Krakoa saw, that is like a kindly, you know, depressed, but also very fun third summer's brother. He likes to grill. He likes to drink. You could hang out with Vulcan at your summer barbecue, okay? Um, that Vulcan is not the Vulcan that we came to know in X-Men continuity. That Vulcan is a monster, right? And he's an Omega-level mutant monster, and he is apparently hidden at the heart of Vulcan. We get a data page in this issue of Mentalo, um basically looking into his psyche and saying, like, I can't see what it is, but, like, the Vulcan we're getting, that's a front. That is a fake. That's not the real Vulcan, which we all kind of know intuitively, right? But it's setting the stage and it's building that mystery more. Now, Vulcan is taking on Tarn the Uncaring because Abigail Brand is trying to manipulate and use Vulcan and get him onto the Council of Iraq. He's trying to get him onto the Great Ring to basically have you know, a mole, right? To have sort of a, a position of influence, someone she can control or manipulate on that great ring. Because right now she doesn't have that, right? Storm is not in her pocket, right? Storm is, has created her own faction with a brotherhood of mutants who are not playing the same, I guess, more imperialistic games of Abigail Bram, which is more just like, I want 
us to have X-Men that can sort of police and control the mutants of Araku, right? All these people and their planet and their culture. And Storm is like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not being their queen. I'm not, I'm not directing them. I'm not demanding that they follow me and that sort of thing. So Bran says, all right, forget it. Uh, we'll put Vulcan on the council instead. Now, to get there, the only way you can do it in Araku culture, essentially, is to uh, kill someone in combat. Or mortally wound them. Like I don't know. I don't know that it's, it has to be death, but it sure seems like that's the the most likely solution or the most likely ending of this. Okay, so Vulcan challenges Tarn. Vulcan again, Omega level mutant. I was tentatively expecting, hoping uh, that what Ewing and Caselli and the team might be doing here, what they might be doing, was actually being like setting up. Okay, Vulcan's clearly going to lose this fight. Okay, Tarn the Uncaring is incredibly powerful. We've seen Tarn about as much as any mutant of Araco this side of, you know, the Apocalypse family and Iska the Unbeaten, because Torn the Uncaring has his Locust file, and they had their interactions with Mr. Sinister and the Hellions, right, in in the Amazing, Amazing Hellion series. So we've seen a decent amount of Torn. He's incredibly powerful. He's also incredibly cruel, right? Like, even by planet Araco standards, which is a culture of violence and, and proving your mettle through, um, you know, physical prowess and superiority. Even within that, Torn is seen as, like, monstrous and cruel, right? So so Vulcan is going up a, against a serious, serious threat. I think the people of Araco, like, like Torn has tortured and, and taken advantage of many of them. Torn is not beloved by the people. He is hated, and, and Torn does not seem to care, right? That is not what he's after. He's like, he's actually a lot like, I think, the sort of nostalgic um, view of what a lot of X-Men fans sort of think Mr. Sinister was maybe in the early 90s, right? Like, take away the comedy, take away any feelings, you know, and get a real hard-edge, serious threat. Um, that's more Tarn the Uncaring, okay? So Vulcan is going up against him, but you know Vulcan's kind of going to lose, and we know that because he's still sort of masquerading as this front, right? His real power, the real beast, the monster inside of Vulcan, we know is sort of caged or contained. So what I was hoping, the tentative hope that I had, was Tarn's going to bring that out accidentally, right? Like I was hoping that in whooping Vulcan's butt, that Vulcan would go down, he would seem to be totally ended, but then the real Vulcan would come to play, and we'd get some revelation about like what that looks like, about what's hiding inside of him, and then ultimately that building towards, hey, remember those weird cancerverse aliens that Hickman teased <laughs> in his X-Men run that went absolutely nowhere? So all that's still in play, but it does not happen here. It does not happen here. Instead, what happens is Tarn just beats down Vulcan. Like, that, that's it. End of story. And it's a good battle, right? It's a fun time, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's not the point of this issue. The point of this issue is it's a Magneto story, okay? And it's a real good one. It's a real, real good one. I mean, this is the X book to beat right now, okay? And I, I said at the start of the Destiny of X, I was more into Immortal X-Men number one than I was X-Men Red number one. Not by a ton, but by a bit. You know, I really liked the setup that Gillen had the hook, the twist of it all. Um, and that, of course, being connected to the X-Men universe. 
the next couple issues have, for me, for X-Men Red, have said, oh yeah, th- no, this is the number one book. And I'm excited to see Immortal X-Men come back and, and take a swing for that title, right? It's great to have a 1A and a 1B doing their dueling banjos and going for the number one title. But right now, X-Men Red is the book to beat. Um, and again, it's up there with the best of the Krakoa era, okay? And the way Ewing taps into... Uh, there's a lot of spinning plates. we got a lot of characters going on. Yet somehow, this third issue is like... It's such a good Magneto comic. Like, this, this to me, could go on a list of what are the best Magneto stories, right? What are the best single issues? What are the best one-and-done type stories of Magneto? And it does it through tapping into the emotion of Magneto's past, right? Just the, the traumatic, traumatic stuff that this, yes, sometimes supervillain <laughs> has gone through um, in a way that I did not expect at all. I did not see this coming at all until I was r- literally reading the top half of the nine panel grid and Magneto starts talking about how Wanda created mutant heaven, right? How at the end of trial of Magneto, Wanda Maximoff, his, uh, what do you call it? Surrogate daughter, I guess at this point. Um, no, that's a real thing. (laughs) There's, there's a better way to describe that. Uh, he views her as his daughter, I guess is the way to say it, even though maybe still technically she's not right. Get mad about that. (laughs) Other places. He's talking about that. And he's saying she created mutant heaven where any mutant can be restored. And I'm kind of thinking like, okay, where's he going with this? Ironically and hilariously, Quicksilver yet again, never mentioned, <laughs> which is, which tickles me. Um, but so Manny was talking about that and he says, apparently he had hopes that this might lead to the resurrection of Anya, his, his first daughter, um, who died, you know, against the, when the, the human mob set fire to, to Magda and Anya and Magneto's home. Okay. Before he, you know, really has the hard supervillain turn. And it turns out, I guess she wasn't a mutant. I mean, Anya was young when that happens. Like, I don't know the exact age, but she's a little girl when that happens. Um, and it's, it breaks him. It breaks him. He's tearing up. There's a real emotional weight. Again, d- pretty much accomplished in nine panels. And yes, like a history and a continuity of this character. You know, if you've been reading Magneto a long time, you know that story. If this is your first series or whatever, you don't necessarily know that story, but you understand what's going on, I think. Um, I had not considered even for a moment that like, oh yeah, within Mutant Heaven, what about all the characters? What about all the lost loves that were taken away too soon? What if they happen to be mutants? Can they also be resurrected? Like that is a potential to, to, to consider, to realize that I had not even broached for a second, right? I was thinking about like basically, okay, within X-Men comics, who does that mean? And, and the, you know, the biggest answer we've gotten so far is basically Proudstar, like basically Proudstar. <clears throat> and Magneto says instead, like, no, I thought maybe, maybe my little girl, I was still holding out hope. That's an incredibly smart move by Ewing. Again, it taps in this level of emotion. It also goes on to add further explanation and complexity to why Magneto left the Quiet Council of Krakoa, like why he has truly broken from Krakoan government and, and the dream that he shared with Professor X and to a lesser degree Moira, <clears throat> right? So, and, and that's the thing too, that like, I actually didn't need a lot more explanation. <laughs> like, like I, I pretty much bought in to Magneto's sick of them. Things went south. He, he needs a break. He's going to go hermit up on planet Araco. Like the way it was sold initially, I was good with. This adds yet another layer that cements it and makes it make even more sense. And that is a tough balancing act 
to walk, and I, I think they absolutely nailed it here, okay? So that's kind of step one in the in this being a Magneto story. Um, and then step two is everyone talking about, okay, Vulcan's going to fight Tarn because we need to get Tarn out of here. Tarn's kind of a monster for the people of Morocco. And um, Roberto, a.k.a. Sunspot, he's egging on Magneto. Okay, he's egging him on a bit, saying, like, the headmaster I used to know, he would have he taken down Tarn. He would have done it. And Magneto's like, no, I'm out. I'm out of the game. I'm out of the game. You can't pull me back in. He's very definitive. And then, of course, the moment Vulcan goes down. What do you see on that page turn? I was hoping, I was hoping that it'd be weird cancer versus aliens. <laughs> it was not. It was an epic, epic return and appearance of Magneto challenging Tarn. Kind of expected, you know, semi-predictable, but the, like in a good way, I would say, right? Like the, the trap was laid and then it was fulfilled. And that's the thing I wanted to see. So Magneto swoops in. He comes in to take on Tarn. Um, instead of it being an all-out multi-page battle between these titans, which, you know, Vulcan and, and Tarn delivered on a bit, right? Caselli and Blee get a chance to flex a little bit artistically. Instead of it being that... It's almost a joke, but again, in like the most fun possible way. Magneto drops his little Professor X helmet directly on Tarn's head. Tarn is psi-based. His powers come from being able to use these mental abilities. Magneto cuts them off, and then he squashes Tarn's head like a bug with his helmet. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's, it's exactly the kind of comic book violence that uh, I, I can be here for with X-Men Red and with Planet Rocco. And again, it moves Magneto back into a position of power on the Great Ring that he forswore, that he said he wanted no part of, that he did not want to be the one dictating what the people of Morocco should do. He can't, he can't give it up. He can't give it up. And Roberto knows this, right? Roberto recognizes this. He's like, yeah, that's not you. <laughs> like Magneto, right? We're, we're talking about the guy who, uh, you know, ruled the Brotherhood of Evil and within four issues in the Lee Kirby X-Men, took over a nation? <laughs> Are we talking about that guy? Are we talking about the guy who ruled the island of Genosha and was recognized by the United Nations? That's the same Magneto, right? The one who just founded Krakoa with Professor Charles Xavier? Yeah, I anticipate you might get involved with the Great Ring here on Arako. And of course he does. Of course he does. And it's going to make those conversations more interesting. It also sets the stage for revenge, some sort of scheme, from Tarn. I don't know, and maybe this is obvious, maybe somebody can tell me in the comments, how resurrection works for the mutants of Arako. Haven't considered it. Hadn't really thought about it too much. Is Tarn definitely coming back? If he's not, are the locusts vile, <laughs> his, his creations, right, his henchmen, are they without a master? And if they are, who's got Mr. Sinister's number and who's keeping tabs on him? Because I bet he's stepping in. I bet he would happily step in and take Tarn's research, his locus vile, his presence, his influence, his fear, all of it, right? So, all right, let me know here in the comments any questions, any thoughts based on all that. I'm going to take a swig of this delicious water. the question here from James, did Vulcan die? I don't think it says outright that he did, but my assumption is yes. I mean, Torn whoops the living F out of him 
and we have Krakoan Resurrection, so I kind of anticipate Vulcan will come back, uh, but just via Resurrection. So my assumption there is yes, although I suppose it's left mildly ambiguous. Again, I kind of think anything that happens in the ring is like, you know, it's a fight to the death. Like, that's how Arako does things. Um, yes, we got to come back to Iska. We got to come back to Iska and, and Roberto. We're definitely going to do that. And we will. Uh, let's see. Questions about Vulcan and Mag's daddy. I was hoping that the person challenging Tarn was another Vulcan. <laughs> that would have been fun, too. Yeah, yeah. That would have been fun, too, if there was, like, a literal second Vulcan inside of Vulcan. I'm a big fan of tiny versions of somebody inside a bigger version of that same somebody. I promise that sentence makes sense if you read a lot of comics. Specifically, Transformers more than meets the eye. There's also a Shi'ar Super Guardian, <laughs> where that's their deal. There's a tiny guy who rides around and a big guy. Uh, always fun. If there's a tiny Vulcan inside a Vulcan, this a billion percent would have been the opportunity to reveal the Tobias Bluth the man inside of me, right? Look at look Gabriel Summers inside of another Gabriel Summers. Sadly, sadly wasn't to be. Uh, we got confirmation here from Open Mike Eagle. Vulcan dead. He dead. I think I think I agree. Um, I'm definitely going to take that as truth. Let's see. Could be how Sinister sets up shop on Mars. I would love it. I mean, that's you know based on the X Men reveal in the last issue of X Men that there are multiple Sinisters. That we got our sinister diamonds, we got a sinister of clubs, presumably there's a heart and a spade out there. We got sinisters to spare right now. Surely, surely one of them is looking to set up shop on Mars. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Iska. Uh, before I do that, I'm seeing the question here, are you reading the Marvel Unlimited Iceman series? I have not yet. I am interested in it. Uh, I actually really like, I don't remember if I talked about this, I like what Marvel Unlimited is doing with their Infinity series. Um, I like doing an Iceman series through that because it allows for supporting characters to get some attention and their own stuff that doesn't have all the pressures of, like, it's an ongoing, it has to live up to X, Y, and Z sales. Like, it can kind of just be and be on a digital platform with those Infinity series. I, I've dug their strategy, pumping out the Marvel Unlimited Infinity books. Um, I'm way behind on them. It'll probably be something I do like in a massive binge. If people or if you're seeing things in there that are like super Krakoa related, I'm missing them right now. So definitely let me know. Um, I will be, I'll be curious to see them. Okay. Here's the thing about, uh, Iska and, and, uh, Tarn and Roberto and everything that went down in the ring during the Tarn Vulcan Magneto ban. And hang on, I got a, I got a ban <laughs> sex bot in the chat. Uh, let's see. I could put the user in timeout, which feels like that might be what they want. Um, or I can just straight up remove. Nope, that's lame. I have to do it for, ah, oh, do I have to do this for every one of these? Can I just hide the user? Okay, there we go. We'll hide the user. They're hidden. They think they're talking to us and offering us sexy messages, but really, the sexy messages are going into the void. Maybe they're going into the black hole where Rasputin and Zorna, right? I bet they could use some sexy messages. They've been floating out there for about three years now. I imagine it gets lonely. Um, all right, I'm going to need another swig of water, getting real nervous and sweaty after all those sexy messages, and then we'll get into Roberto and Iska. Okay, so 
one of the most fun aspects of this battle is as the Roman Colosseum arena fights are going on, um, Roberto sits down next to Isca, Isca, the unbeaten, and immediately starts flirting with her, as Roberto is wont to do. But he's also kind of feeling out, like, okay, how do these powers actually work? You know, so Isca's mantra is, I can't lose, which is one of the most enjoyably simple power sets, yet when you actually try to break down what that means, it becomes, like, stupid complicated, you know? So I love that it's out there, and I love that Ewing's taking on the challenge here. And... Roberto's having the conversation with her about like, oh, so you can't lose. Like, you know, what if what if somebody hit you with a, you know, a side bullet? Like, would that take out your powers? And she's like, no, I just I can't lose. Like nothing, nothing stops that. You know, it just it just happens. Um, and Roberto's kind of talking what seems like nonsense, but really is kind of some strategy here. And as Magneto shows up and Iska's like, Tarn is gonna whoop him a thousand ways to Sunday. Like Magneto doesn't stand a chance. Tarn just destroys everyone. He always has. Roberto takes the opportunity to say, I bet you Tarn will win. And Iska freaks out. <laughs> she freaks the F out, okay? Um, I don't fully understand the sequence of events. I don't fully understand the sequence of events. Maybe some of you in here can help me a little bit because I found this a bit confusing. Now, here's my interpretation of what happens, and, and we'll see how this adds up with what other people read. Um, Iska freaks out and just starts yelling, I can't lose, or something to that effect, basically because Roberto has sort of checkmated her, I guess. In order to take the bet, she has to take Magneto, and now she's been tricked into picking the person to win that she didn't think would win, and, and I guess that's it, right? That's the simplest version of events here is like Roberto checkmated her in a logic puzzle because apparently she has to take this bet, which that piece I don't get. Just <laughs> can't you just be like, yeah, I agree. I don't want to bet. <laughs> like, isn't that an option? You know, like if somebody's like Celts in six, I can be like, no, um, or no, no. Like here's the, like somebody's like warriors in six. I'm like, yeah, I agree. Like, I, I also hope that like we, we don't bet that <laughs> like we don't have to challenge each other. There's no reason we have to, one of us has to pick the other. Okay. Um, but apparently Iska feels otherwise and freaks out. Now the alternate interpretation of this, which is more complex and probably better, I guess, is Iska's freaking out and shouting, I can never lose in conjunction with also saying something to the effect of, I fought beside Tarn for a thousand years and tearing up. Maybe, maybe Roberto's ruse here has the revelation for Iska that her power set is not uh, uh, as deterministic as as she's been acting. Okay, and what I mean by that is Iska's sort of got like this laissez-faire go with the flow attitude to her power set, at least as we've seen in Ten of Swords, where she's basically like, yeah, I'm going to betray my sister and all of the people I love and have worked with because my power is telling me the other side's going to win. Something like that, right? Some sort of interpretation like that. So she goes with the other side, like she Benedict Arnold's then. And like nobody quite blames her enough. <laughs> for this because they're like oh she can't lose so if she goes to their side i guess that means they're gonna win right um and and the interpretation here though is that like well if she bets on magneto does that mean magneto's gonna win and if she has that much power couldn't she have stopped torn earlier did she have to fight beside torn for a thousand years 
which he probably didn't want to do because nobody likes him, <laughs> you know, and he's a monster, right? I, I think that's maybe the the further extent, like the more complicated read of what is happening here, because I guess otherwise the thing is her having that kind of reaction is very strong. <laughs> like, it seems a little out of proportion to me to uh, Sunspot just being like, hey, here's an annoying bet, right? Like, like again, like, you can wave off a bet from a stranger. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overthinking it. Um, maybe I'm missing something entirely. Uh, but, but I definitely want to know from folks in the chat what you all thought of this conversation. It was a, it seemed like a really cool idea, I think. I really liked that it happened. I like this. Maybe that's just like a metaphor for my brain. My brain is missing a few panels and I didn't get it. It's certainly impossible. Uh, all right, let's see. What are people saying? Iska likely has a compulsion to never back down. I guess that was kind of talked about and established in Ten of Swords. Because Magic and somebody else, and I forget who, challenge her to like 100 goofy games. You know, like they're playing Flippy Cup and, and Beer Pong with Iska. And she's doing it because that's how she is. She's like, I can never... But, like, the thing about that, though, is, like, with Roberto's game, like, she didn't, she didn't take, I, I guess it would have worked better for me if she took the bet and then, like, a minute later was, like, realized the trap, right? Something to that effect, as opposed to immediately recognizing the trap of the bet, yet feeling so compelled to still take it, <laughs> you know? Um, so, I don't know. Like, I feel like her power does kind of affect things. Or at least that's the implication that I'm taking here. Although then that opens the door for like, well, can she just like determine the fate of the world, right? Like, like how far does this extend? I don't know. It opens some really interesting questions. And uh, I, I can't imagine that it has anything to do with her wanting Tarn to stay around. I don't think anyone wants that. Literally anyone. She might view what Roberto did as a violation because it wasn't her choice. She was forced to pick a side because she can't refuse a challenge. Yeah, so there again, she can't refuse a challenge. It sounds like she's got a gambling problem, <laughs> I think. Uh, every podcast now, if you listen to any sports podcasts, they all do like four to seven minutes of like phone numbers you can call if you have a gambling problem because they're also simultaneously advertising for those. Uh, we should jot down some of those numbers for Iska because I, I'm a little concerned that she's got an addiction here. Uh, I, I don't, I don't totally get why she couldn't just say no to, to sunspots as, as OG puts it here. So, uh, triple dog dare, right? He didn't even hit her with an official triple dog dare. I think that would have been better <laughs> if he was like, and, and then, cause then I would have understood, right? If sunspot walks in and he's like, it's got a triple dog dare you to bet on Tarn. Yeah. Okay. I like of course, of course she's mad <laughs> that she has to do it now. Uh, but the alternate, I don't know. Let's see. I believe that Iska has a form of probability manipulation. This would explain why she remains neutral. Yeah, I, I think that's a possibility. Although you run into the problem then of like, how how different is this than Domino, for example, right? Just a just a more power like like Domino with better marketing, you know, <laughs> where it's like Domino but with a way better slogan. I can't lose, you know. Like what what exactly are the differences? Um, it's tricky. It's tricky, as Run DMC put it. So, okay, let's see. I'm going to get another swig here. Uh, I'm seeing, again, I'm seeing a lot of folks saying I, she can't refuse a challenge. And again, I just think 
somebody's got it. Somebody at some point is going to have to talk to Isk about this and say, like, you know, you don't you don't always have to bet, and if you feel like you do, um, you know, here's some numbers you can call. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm seeing the similar thing here from Luca. I was writing some great articles for Combo Carol. Just check out Luca's stuff on CompoCarol.com, including the ongoing series Omnibusin, where Luca maps out omnibuses uh, for various characters, events, things that Marvel hasn't published yet. One of my favorite things going on on CBS right now. I love the, love those columns. Um, but saying here, you know, the moment didn't hit me as it should because at first I was confused. That's definitely what I had. That's definitely what I had. Where like I I it felt like oh this should be a huge moment, and clearly this is meaningful, but I don't totally get why. I don't totally get why. And I'm, I'm still, even as I talk through it, having that experience, you know. Um, here saying her power was used against her. She already said the term was going to win. She had bought into him winning. Yeah, but again, th- like, that's what I'm saying. Is she could have just stuck with that. <laughs> like, she says, I think Tarn is going to win. Roberto says, I bet you Tarn wins. Iska then could reply, yeah, that's what I just said, you moron. <laughs> Right? That is an acceptable response. I don't know. I don't totally get it. I don't feel like just because someone says, I bet you the thing you think will win will win, that you immediately have to hop around and take the other side. Listen, this this is all logic puzzles and mind games, and I don't, like, I love this issue, okay? I love this comic. I don't want to, like, take it down a peg because this scene maybe doesn't make sense to me. Um, But I feel like there's a, a something here that I'm missing, and I hope it gets developed over the course of the next few issues. I guess that's that's probably the main takeaway is more Iska, more Sunspot, more of their interactions, please, over the next few issues because I think it could be uh, really, really smart and fun. Let's see. We got a super chat here. We had a couple super chats. We got one earlier, too, that I don't think I talked about yet, so let's cover those. Thanks to those of you who are donating. Really appreciate that. Definitely motivates me to come back and do these streams. It might even motivate me one day to get rid of the uh, the watermark on <laughs> the stream videos and pay that small fee every month, but no promises. Let's see. Rodrigo asked, when Vulcan gets resurrected, will the thing the aliens from Cancerverse put in his heart get back to? Will, um, let's see, will, the, will that change Vulcan's behavior? Will the aliens come back to see what happened? If we don't see those aliens again, I, I'm not going to like that, (laughs) right? Like, listen, I'm sure there are seeds and, and just ideas and fun little phrases that Hickman tossed out there in some of his comics that won't see the light of day again. Okay. Like there will be things that don't get fulfilled. The cancer verse stuff was so specific and so big and like, like a number of issues were spent on that. Okay, I heard like three, four, you know, and now Ewing's coming back to it. Like, we've spent time with this. So I think we have to see resolution of that. Um, it would be incredibly disappointing if we don't. And Ewing's talking about it, right? In this book, he's talking about it. He's recognizing it. He is, you know, admitting that it happened. So I expect it to happen here in X-Men Red. Um, again, for me, it's like, there's enough going on in this book if, like, if this was another book and it was simultaneously Vulcan-centric, I'd be pretty upset that they weren't putting the goods on the table and and beginning to develop that mystery. Because, again, like it's not like it's a, a cleverly paced Agatha Christie here, <laughs> right? Like, these are threads that were teased, you know, two, two years ago at this point. 
um, that, that some development on, just some sort of reminder of, would be useful. So yeah, I expect we'll see those aliens again. I expect there's going to be some sort of connection here in the Ewing X-Men Red. Um, what will it mean for Vulcan? I, my hope would be that there's like a turn to the Dark Emperor Vulcan, and then over the course of whatever the heck happens here with the Cancerverse, that ultimately we get back like a decent and whole Third Summer's brother, Grill, Grill and Beer loving Vulcan. Like, I hope he can get back to that. Because that, that dynamic between Alex and Scott and Gabe, um, I think, could actually be very fun. So, let's see. We got also here in the super chat, I think Iska's power is automatic. Like, how she, she switches to Krakoa's side in A Ten of Swords when Apocalypse um, puts on the helm of Amen. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess one interpretation here could be I don't know if this would work, but like if Iska thinks about taking another side, then it, her powers are so extreme that then that that reality actually like comes to the to the fore, you know, right? So so Roberto is like, I bet Tarn wins. That puts immediately in the uh, gambling Iska's mind. Well, I, I should I take Magneto? And just in considering it. <laughs> <laughs> then he her power extends to cover him. I don't know. That, that doesn't totally work for me, I guess, is the thing. Like, yeah, if it's automatic, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I need I need more Iska in these books because I love that character, and I definitely, uh, I want more explanation on this because that doesn't totally answer it for me because at no point would she have or, or did she think Magneto was going to win. I guess I just don't get that piece of it. So, all right, let's see what else we got. All right, all right, all right. I mean, I, yeah, I guess the you know the comment I'm seeing here is she lost, Iska lost, and she hasn't lost in a thousand years. In terms of the big, oversized reaction she has, okay, maybe that adds up a little better, right? Like maybe that adds up a little better. That regardless of whether or not I think the actual Roberto's bet thing sort of trigger this, it it did function this way, where she had predicted Tarn was going to win initially and then Magneto wins and she did lose and Iska never loses. Um, I guess that would freak you out. I guess that would freak you out. Okay. If she, if she was like, I, I backed the wrong horse, something's wrong with my powers. That would be an existential crisis of sorts. That piece of it I buy, uh, which is, which is interesting. It sounds cool. It sounds, the power set sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get down to brass tacks, are you using it in ways that make sense is going to be the consistent challenge with this character. Again, I don't like to overanalyze power sets. Um, they tend to get in the way of what I actually care about, which is the story and the use of the craft and the use of language in these books. That said, Iska's is fun enough and goofy enough and emphasized here enough specifically that it feels worth having this conversation right so so but yeah i i think there's there's more to be said on the matter i'm not seeing here anything that is like totally making it click for me that might be my own abstinence we'll see we'll see how it gets talked about moving forward i look forward to it i look forward to it a lot again this issue ruled this issue ruled x-men red number three was so so cool i've talked about it this entire stream because it was fantastic uh you know it, one thing i didn't mention torn here 
looking especially gory. Uh, not bloody, not violent, but like Gore, the God Butcher, from the Jason Ernie's out of Rivich, Thor God of Thunder. He's got the little bunny ears, just like Gore. The way Caselli draws him uh, looks a lot like Gore. I need, I need a little more distinction between these uh, cruel, incredibly powerful cosmic villains uh, in my comics. <laughs> they look a little too alike for my money. My Wolverine number 22 feedback. Adam Kubert's killing it. I love what Adam Kubert is bringing to Wolverine. Um, I like I like what the Kuberts do on X-Men comics in the 90s. There's some good stuff, but it's also of a piece with the era. I would never have predicted that, like, oh, yeah, in 2022, Adam Cooper will be doing some of my favorite stuff in X-Men. And that's super cool. Love it. Love that that's happening. Some of the layouts, some of the designs, some of the action sequences, you get some really great visuals and art in this. Otherwise, I don't have a lot to say about this issue. Um, like I said, like, unless a book right now is the top of the power rankings, unless it's one of the big four, and you got kind of, like, you got a big four right now, I would say, and then you have X-Men by Duggan and when LaRoz is there, that's like a, that's like a good six-man, okay? So you got four power players, four all-stars, really. Then you got Duggan and LaRoz, six-man. I don't think we have a fifth starter right now, and everybody else, like, I'm worried about playing them. Like, I'm worried about putting them in the game. I'm, I, I would say, like, the Percyverse right now is a little Peyton Pritchardy. For me, I don't know that I can play them in big situations, um, but it's like you know, my I'm I'm keeping an eye on it because if they get hot, you know, I could use some three point shooting, and I'm sure this metaphor is <laughs> a little overextended for those of you who are not watching the NBA Finals. But that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I think Wolverine 22. The one, th the other thing I'll say is, I think Percy's doing the thing that a lot of writers have a problem with, which is when you bring Deadpool in as a guest, the book straight up becomes a Deadpool book. And, like, that's the joke, but it's also a problem <laughs> when you forget, like, what the book is, and that kind of feels like that's what's happening in Wolverine. So I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Danger, um, but otherwise, yeah, that's not, that's not a book I'm super invested in. Uh, all right, I think we got some time for the best of the Krakoa era. Next up, after I take this drink, I am going to list out my favorite comics of the Krakoa era. I've got six and I'll just tell you right now, one of them basically doesn't count. <laughs> okay? So if you've got uh, picks for power rankings for the best of the Krakoa era, get those ready, because that's what we're going to talk about next. Here's hoping Danger joins Krakoa. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I am, I am with you on that one. Uh, she was, you know... With the mutants on Utopia, why that wouldn't be the case with Krakoa, I don't know. But there's there's some minor mystery here as to what it is she wants or what the CIA is holding out from her. All right. Best of the Krakoa era, X-Men comics. Let's do this, baby. Let's get the camera on. All right. Let's do this, puppy. Number one, with a bullet. House of X powers of 10. It's not close. It's not close. Okay. That I feel like that barely counts. I feel like that barely counts in terms of what I'm thinking about when I think about the best of the Krakow era. Like, I'm mostly thinking about the comics that came out post-House and Powers because that's the thing that allows it to happen. But if we count it, if we count it, 
it is number one by miles. By miles. Okay? It's not close. It's not close. Number two, though, for me, and I'm surprised. I never would have picked this. Heading into heading into this era, I never would have thought, oh, this will be the number one. For sure. Italians. Italians by Zeb Wells, Carmen Carnero, Steven Sagonia, a host of others. Ariana Maher on letters, typically. Uh, Hellions is my favorite book of this era. Just funny. It's just, like, funny in a way that superhero comics are not. It's smart. It's of a piece with the era. It does more with less than any book, than any book in this X-Men era, than any superhero comic on the Marvel side of things during this time period. Um, Hellions is my favorite, okay? Behind that, number number three total, I actually have Hickman's X-Men, inclusive of Den of Swords. That's how much I like Hellions, okay? Right? Huge Hickman fan, huge Hickman stan, right? And all that. His X-Men run is certainly uneven, um, but when you consider the high points and the weight that some of his good X-Men stuff has, you know, it's like nothing, nothing was touching that. Just that feeling that I used to get reading through the, the Dawn and the Rain where when Hickman actually was like, oh yeah, here's the Nimrod stuff. And oh yeah, here's the Vault stuff. Like that just, it hasn't been matched since. Um, and it probably won't be because it, it was such connective tissue. You could see the threads from House and Powers and then you could see him building. And obviously with, with Hickman out of the picture, you're not going to get that. If that question actually just came in, do you miss Jonathan Hickman at all in the current Krakoa era? Should I come back? Um, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> like, you don't take one of the best, most interesting writers out of the picture and have a better <laughs> a better situation. Like, it just doesn't work like that. Um, again, there's stuff that I like a lot, such as X-Men Red, and such as what Kieran Gillen's going to bring to the table in Immortal X-Men and Judgment Day, but it's not the same thing as amazing setup and whatever Hick like even if Hickman was like doing not like his best work which is kind of what a lot of the X-Men run was it's still just that thing of that continuity of that literal creative continuity between here was the big picture and I'm taking us through that to the end um it's it, you know like I said at the time it's like um it's like the Bulls in 1994 without Jordan, okay? And Jordan and Hickman's an imperfect analogy because Jordan's the literal goat and Hickman is not. Um, for my money, to be Al Moore, maybe Grant Morrison, but for me, Al Moore. Um, but, like, you take away your superstar player, the team's still great. The Bulls were still awesome, right? They were, what, like Scottie Pippen sitting on the bench away from going to the finals? You know, the team was still great. X-Men comics can still be very good. The Grokoa era is still very interesting. But they don't have Jordan anymore. They don't have MJ anymore. It's not the same. It's not the same. They're not, they're not a repeat three-peat contender without that kind of talent on board. Um, ultimately, that's, that's where it's at, I think. Should you dip back in? I think you should dip back in um, on the good stuff. That's what I'm saying. Like, the, the, the top of the lineup is really good. Check out Immortal X-Men. Check out X-Men Red. I like New Mutants a lot right now. Um, and, uh, and Sabretooth by Victor LeVault. Like, those are the four books that I think are doing really well. Check those out, see what you think. And then uh, everyone who's who's an X-Men fan, you're going to find folks who are like, you know, you're going to have your Teeny Howard Excalibur fans. You're going to have your Ben Percy Universe fans. You're going to have your Jerry Duggan X-Men fans, right? There, there's 
enough stuff going on on the fringes, that window dressing I described, that people are going to be fans of, you know? Uh, but, but ultimately, that's kind of where I think this era is at. It is not what it was, but it still has plenty of potential to be good, maybe not great, okay? Uh, so, okay, let's finish this list here. So I had, I had House and Powers, way up here, Hellions, Hickman's X-Men, inclusive of Ten of Swords, because I, when you, if you boil Ten of Swords down to, like, the main issues, you know, the stasis, destruction, whatever, um, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good, and it sets up a lot, and that's what we're seeing developed here in X-Men Red. Speaking of X-Men Red, next on the list, Al Ewing's sword into X-Men Red. Okay, if we kind of consider that one long run, which is what it is, um, that right now is already fourth for me, and X-Men Red's hopefully nowhere near done. Already super high for me. Loving it. I love Sword a lot. Um, and X-Men Red is living up to that. Right below that, I've got Vida Ayala, Rod Rice on Rod Race on New Mutants. I think that's been that good. I think that's still got legs. That's still got room to grow. And then uh, the final entry. Ooh, we got a bunny outside the window, everybody. Uh, the final entry would be whatever comes from Gillen's Immortal X-Men and the finish of the Victor Laval Sabretooth and then hopefully, uh, you know, a triad from there. Um, that's next on my list. So the one, two, three, four, five after House and Powers is Hellions, Hickman's X-Men, Ewing Sword and X-Men Red, Ayala Rice, New Mutants, Gillen Immortal X-Men, Victor Laval Sabretooth, and a tie for the bottom. Those are my picks right now. Those are my picks right now. Uh, I think those are the best of the critical era. I think if you read nothing else, you should read those. Uh, you could argue for Planet Size X-Men, I would say, as a Hellfire Gala throw-in. Um, that's a fair addition, potentially. For me, it doesn't quite do it uh, on its own. Like, that's really, it's really important that you kind of are invested in the Kirko era, I think, for that issue to be really special. Um, but it looks great regardless. So you can make an argument for that. But otherwise, those are my picks. Now, I did that in a waiting room without looking at any of the comics that have come out. So there easily could be stuff I've forgotten. But <laughs> as it stands, I think that's the best of the Kirko era. But definitely let me know uh, here in the comments if anybody thinks they've got a more interesting list. Um, or a better analogy than Hickman and Jordan. Because, again, it just is like goat, not the goat. just doesn't totally work. Uh, all right, all right. We're right here at the end. Get any final questions, and I will address them. Uh, yes, I have Warriors and Six. Um, no questions, Your Honor, on that front. But here we go. Let's see if there's any more questions. Okay. I'm not seeing stuff come through. Maybe it's a connection thing. I don't know. That happens. Uh, if you can hear me, that's great. Uh, let's see. Okay, here we go. Here we go. They're, they're piling in. They're piling in right now. All right. How could you forget the amazing Fallen Angels and X-Core? Classic. Classic gag. Classic gag. Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did not forget those. I do promise. That's the thing is like, listen, I can denigrate the hard work of those individuals all I want, uh, but I did not, I will not forget those comics. I will not forget them because they are forever ingrained on my worst, you know, the, my least favorite 10 comics of all time. <laughs> like that list doesn't get updated a lot. Okay. Every time I read a series, you know, in full, in some capacity, I do rank it on Comic Herald's Best Comics of All Time. If you Google Best Comics of All Time, you'll find the CBH list. You'll find my most recent updates. I rank the top 500 now on that list. The top 500 means it's a comic I liked. If it's anything inside the top 500, it means it was relatively good. I, I do recommend it in some capacity. 
I do keep a private list <laughs> of all of the rest. And once you get in right, right now it's approaching 800. And it's not literally everything I've ever read, but it's everything I've ever thought to sit down and rank. Um, once you get into the like 775 to 800 territory, you start to actually get into stuff that I really dislike. And uh, let's just say, let's just say Fallen Angels and X-Corp are both in that set <laughs> of 25 comics. I, I'm pretty confident I've got X-Corp the lowest. Uh, I, yeah, I must. I must. Fallen Angels, I, it was, I, I was more critical of it at the time that it was coming out, certainly, because I think by comparison to the rest of the Dawn of X, it just didn't fit, and it didn't, I, and I'm, it, it was just weird. It was just a strange book. It didn't fit. It didn't feel like it was cognizant or acknowledging X-Men continuity. I blame some of the editorial and some of the guidance on that as much as I blame, you know, the creatives, right? It just, it, it was just kind of messy. I think if that book comes out in other eras, you'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's a mid-tier X-Men comic. Um, X-Core I actually really, really disliked. And and I don't... I think I finished it out of obligation, but I did not enjoy finishing that. <laughs> that was not an enjoyable experience. That was the biggest bust, I would say, of the whole bunch. Fallen Angels, there's... You can make a case for. I can see arguments for. Um, you can at least have a conversation about what it's trying to do. I, none of that exists in X-Core. It's a much, much more of a disaster, I would say. For my money, Way of X, I, I've seen some folks say um, belongs in the power rankings. I think that's fair. Um, it didn't. It, it fell apart by the end for me, pretty hard. Uh, and and Knights of, or Legion of X hasn't yet picked that up yet. Although I would love to see it do so. I would love to see it do so. But yeah, otherwise I think uh, yeah. I mean it's you know it's weird. It's like this is three years of comics. You know, and when I actually go down to the list, like, okay, like, what's the best? Like, what's the what's the great stuff that's come out? I mean, only one of these books was a launch book. Only one of these was a Dawn of X book, Hickman's X-Men. Right? Hellions was a later launch. The Ayala and Race New Mutants came out at, to save the the broken and falling apart new mutants launch right so that's basically a second wave book um sword is a second wave book by ewing and then everything else x-men red immortal x-men Sabretooth. those are all destiny of x things you know it's like you'd think more of the launch stuff and because the Krakoa era as a whole remains like a solid read right like it's an interesting experiment in marvel continuity and there's a tightness too to the continuity and to all this stuff interacting and relating to House and Powers, that is rare. I mean, that is rare in Marvel superhero comics that the comics are as interconnected as they are, you know, and have been for as long as they have. Um, so credit where it's due there. Because even keeping it on a similar timeline and with similar objectives and, and characters all sort of knowing which spaces they occupy and those sorts of things, that actually hasn't happened a heck of a lot across this many titles. Um, but they're just haven't, I actually would say like Marauder season one, like the, like, I guess the problem with Marauder, like Marauders might be on this list if it had ended at issue 12 or something like that. You know, I'd actually probably remember it more fondly, uh, but it, it just went so long and it was so obvious about playing for field position instead of trying to do anything. It was just way too blatant about that. Um, and, and that was definitely a, a problem. 
You know, I feel like these streams are really doing well because we've gotten more sex bots today than I think uh, I have in any previous Comic Book Herald Hour stream. So things are looking up for me, for those of you in the chat, for everybody listening. Um, the sex bots are out. Congratulations, everybody. Congrats. We did it. And that's really why I started this. That's why I, that's why I get up in the morning. That's why I hop on every evening on Wednesdays after the comics come out. It's to see if we got any sex bots. And today we did. A lot of them. <laughs> so congratulations. Uh, this one has more cheap sex than Tinder. Um, I'm assuming that's high praise. I'm assuming that's high praise. I haven't been on Tinder, but I imagine their slogan is lots of cheap sex. <laughs> and this one has more, if you can imagine. So check it out. Check it out, everybody. All right. Uh, any final questions? Otherwise, we're going to wrap this. Let's do this. Okay. Just a lot of agreement that I have indeed hit it big. Thanks, everybody, for joining live. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming and talking to comics and X-Men with me every week. I much appreciate it. Oh, we didn't do the, we didn't do the best of DC. Um, that is coming soon from CBH here. Let's, uh, give you a little sneak peek. All right. I can give you a sneak peek before I go. Oop, that's not it. This one. And we do that and that. Nope. Well, yeah, sure. And that and that. Okay. Sneak peek. The best DC comics, 2022 coming soon on comic book Herald. I'm not going to read through those one by one. Cause this is the end of the show, but here are the comics that I've been loving from DC human target monkey prince. Catwoman, Lonely City, which I've written a brilliant essay about right here. <laughs> DC vs. Vampires. This book shocked me. I thought this is going to be nothing, and I'm definitely not going to want to continue reading it, and I love it. <laughs> it's so fun. DC vs. Vampires is a blast. Task Force Z is a similar kind of blast. Speaking of blasts, Jurassic League. Oh, that book's good. Aquaman Andromeda, Black Label book that just started. Rom V with Christian Ward art. Incredible looking comic. Joker, I've been digging. Nightwing. Nightwing's on the fence for me. Nightwing's on the fence for me, but Bruno Redondo art, that incredible Get Grayson issue, that's good stuff. Swamp Thing is good. And then uh, a deep cut, a dark horse, Arkham City, Order of the World. Uh, it's such a weird book. It's such a beautiful book. I love Danny's art on that thing. Um, the funniest Dr. Phosphorus you will ever find. So this this thing's coming soon, so stay tuned to comicbookherald.com for more of that. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comments.